The scripture reading is Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. Hear God's word. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of the things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins? But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every high priest stands daily ministering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I have made with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ has come into the world and how often we've contemplated this truth, how often we've spoken about it, how often we've been confronted by this truth. 
And it's not only the truth about Jesus Christ that we need to absorb. But Father, we understand that it is with Jesus Christ Himself that we have to do. And as we have opportunity this evening to look into this text, Father, and see the sufficient Christ, we pray that we might know Him better. And as a result, be constrained by Your grace to follow Him more thoroughly. Bless us, each one, we pray these things in the good and gracious name of Jesus Christ, who is the only Lord and King. Amen. When we speak of the sufficiency of the atonement, usually what we are talking about is the fact that the work of Jesus Christ in dying for sins is sufficient to pay for the sins of all people in all times living who have lived everywhere on the face of the earth. That the work of Jesus Christ is sufficient for these things. And uh, along with the idea of the sufficiency of the atonement, uh, we usually speak about the efficiency of the atonement. That uh, the atonement is not efficient, efficient for all. In other words, uh, the sins of all are not actually paid for by Jesus Christ. And we know this is the case because there are many people who, unfortunately, descend into hell and must themselves pay for their sins eternally. And so there's this distinction we draw between the sufficiency of Christ's atonement and the efficiency of Christ's atonement. And... Uh, the word in the title of the message this evening, the sufficient Christ, uh, is used a little bit differently uh, than that uh, more theological uh, explanation uh, that I've uh, given to you. And the reason I say I'm using it a little bit differently is that it's not only an abstract doctrine uh, that I'm interested in your understanding as we are together this evening, more importantly, it's imperative that you know the Christ and that you know the sufficient Christ, that you know Him. The Apostle John says to us, this is eternal life that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. And uh, so the burden 
of what I have to say this evening is uh, that you know the Christ and you know uh, the Christ as the sufficient Christ, the one who is sufficient to meet all of the needs under the rubric, under the category of your sin, your personal sin, the sufficient Christ. And as we enter the text this evening in Hebrews chapter 10, the first thing that the book of Hebrews, or the writer to the Hebrews, shows us in chapter 10 is the insufficiency of the old system. Verses 1 through 4. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of the things can never, by the same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. You see, the the law presents a shadow of the good things to come, not the not the very form, not the very essence, not the substance of the things to come. Of course, you know, a shadow is just an outward form and. Uh, it, it, it can vary quite a little bit, can't it? <laughs> As you walk around, your shadow changes. And uh, th- this is the nature of uh, that Old Testament law. It's an outward uh, shadow, a mere shadow of the good things to come, not the substance. And uh, the writer to the Hebrews follows with a rhetorical question. He says, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered those Old Testament sacrifices, because the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have had consciousness of sins. They were temporary. They, the time came when they no longer needed to be offered in the providence of God. But in the Old Testament the economy, they had to be offered over and over again. Because what did they do? They simply reminded people of their sins. And this is what verse 3 says, "...but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins." The writer to the Hebrews has repeatedly taken us to this idea. And he's pounding away at it. He doesn't want us to forget it. He just goes after it and goes after it and goes after it. And so we, uh, we have this impressed upon our hearts and our minds. And so, when Christ comes, what does Christ do? Christ comes and lives out Psalm 40. See, this is what the next verses tell us. Verses 5 6 and 7. Therefore, when He comes into the world, He says, Jesus Christ says. Now, the way this is framed is that God the Son is speaking to God the Father. Therefore, when He comes into the world, He says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. 
And you scratch your head here just a little bit because the Old Testament sacrifices were commanded by God. <laughs> he told the Old Testament people to perform these sacrifices. And so, what does the psalm mean and what does our Lord mean when He says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired? It's the way these sacrifices were performed. They were performed in a perfunctory way. They were performed in a way in which uh, faith was absent. Uh, they were to uh, come with their sacrifices believing in the Savior who was promised. Uh, they were to come with faith in their hearts trusting in the Savior who was to come. Uh, but uh, they uh, uh, performed their sacrifices in a rather perfunctory way, morning and evening, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and gave no thought uh, about what they were doing except uh, that when the sacrifices and offerings were performed, they patted themselves on the back a little bit, uh, thinking that they had performed their duty. Uh, uh, run the little red flag up the pole here <laughs> a little bit. Uh, you and I can do the same thing, can we not? That uh, we can uh, come to worship week by week and uh, month after month and year after year and think nothing of it. And uh, often when uh, I've asked the question uh, about uh, why we come to worship, uh, the answer that I've gotten is this. Well, I come to worship because we're supposed to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good. So far, so good. Uh, uh, but do you not come with faith in your heart and expectation to meet with the living God? Isn't that what worship is about? and to hear the voice of the living God as the Scriptures are read, uh, you see. Uh, what a difference uh, there is in the two uh, approaches. And so, uh, Jesus Christ comes and He lives out Psalm 40. And He says uh, in verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. I have come to do your will, O God. And of course, the will which Jesus Christ had come to do was to live a perfect life, to display perfect righteousness, and to die a perfect death a death that in which he would take all the punishment due to others for their sin, people like you and me. And then on the third day, rise again and walk the dusty roads of Judea and Galilee for 40 days, providing, as Dr. Luke says, in the book of Acts, many infallible proofs with regard to His resurrection and then ascend into heaven. 
This was his doing the will of God. And of course, this whole idea was in response to what God had said to him. God the Father had said to him. In Psalm 2, it's recorded that the Father promised the Son that He would give the Son the nations as His inheritance and the ends of the earth as His possession. This was the promise of the Father to the Son. And of course, on the basis of that promise, Jesus Christ has said to His disciples, make disciples of all the nations and Uh, He sent the Holy Spirit into the world and said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the utter ends of the earth. Uh, You see, on the basis of that promise. And so Jesus Christ comes into the world to do the will of the Father. And uh, when He completes... His work in the world, He sits down. He sits down on the throne of the Majesty on high. Verses 11 and following. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That was the work of those priests in the old system. They would stand morning and evening in front of the altar. And after having slain the cattle and the sheep and the goats and spilled their blood all over the place, they stood before the altar. And verse 12 says, "...but He, but He having offered one sacrifice for the sins..." for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Psalm 110, right? Where uh, Jesus Christ is uh, is spoken of. And uh, uh, Jesus even uh, spoke about uh, Psalm 110 uh, to... Uh, the Pharisees, uh, uh, the Lord has said to my Lord, uh, sit at my right hand. Uh, the words of David. And, and why does he call him Lord? Uh, Psalm 110. Uh, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Uh, while he sat, God the Father, God the Father, places all of His enemies and our enemies under the feet of Jesus Christ. Uh, Waiting from that time onward until His enemies be made a footstool for His feet. For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. I ran by verse 10. Uh, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Uh, I should not have run by verse 10. Uh, By by that will 
by the acting out of that will, we, the writer to the Hebrews, have been sanctified. And what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us that we have been set aside for the purposes of God. We have been taken out of the dominion of darkness, out from under the dominion of darkness, and brought into the kingdom of the dear Son of God. We have been set aside for the purposes of God. That's the root meaning of sanctification. And uh, you notice that that's in the, the perfect tense. Uh, by this will, we have been sanctified, indicating something happened in the past that continues to have relevancy and effect in this day. It happened in the past, but it still has effect today. And what happens is that we have been set aside for the purposes of God, and not only so, uh, there's an aspect of sanctification uh, uh, which is not only decisive in one sense, but also progressive, that we are continually changed uh, uh, into the image of Jesus Christ. And this is in part what's taking place uh, because of the offering of Jesus Christ in His body. And uh, the writer to the Hebrews goes back in verse 14 to the idea of sanctification. For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, there's a sense in which because you have been set aside uh, for uh, the purposes of God, in principle, in principle, you have been perfected. And in the sight of God, clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you have been perfected. Praise be unto God that this is the case. And the actuality of that perfection will come when Jesus Christ comes a second time in glory. And so, Jesus Christ sits on the throne waiting for all of His and our enemies to be placed under His feet. And as your King, He writes His law on your hearts. Verses 15 and following. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying that this covenant, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. And so sitting as King of kings and Lord of lords, one of the great works of Jesus Christ now as He brings us under the sway of His Lordship is to write His law in our hearts and on our minds. And when the God of glory writes His law in your hearts, He is altering your inner dispositions and inclinations. The heart is the center 
of the whole human life with its feelings and thinking and volition and the law written on the heart changes the heart and changes the disposition, the inclination of the will. It's like, it's like taking an old rusty switch and changing it in a different direction. And that's what happens in the heart. So that the law of God and the Word of God becomes a delight to the people of God. And then he says, on their mind I will write them. In other words, your mind, your thinking apparatus is imbued with the law of God. So that in the end, you say yes when God says yes. And you say no when God says no. This is the idea that, that radical change takes place. And as your king, he not only writes his law on your hearts, but he forgives your sins. And he reminds you that there is no need for any other sacrifice than the sacrifice he has performed. Verses 17 and 18. He then says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Your sins and your lawless deeds, God says, I will remember no more. Now, it's not as though God is somehow a supercomputer in which there are megabytes of memory and terabytes of memory and what would be next? I don't even know what's next. There are words for it. Gargantua bites. <laughs> Whatever it would be. It's not as though there are huge memory banks and God systematically, when you're forgiven, erases those memory banks. No, that's not the idea. You see, in one instantaneous cognitive thought, 
God comprehends everything in the universe. He knows all of your thoughts, all of your past, all of your future. He knows all of the interconnections between what you've said and how it affects your neighbor. He knows intimately the, the connections of uh, between what you do today and how it will affect your job performance six months from now, 12 months from now, and 12 years from now. He knows all of these things. And all of these things are present in His infinite knowledge and understanding. But He says, I will... Remember your sins no more. And uh, that's tied to forgiveness. Uh, you see that, uh, do you not? And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things. Forgiveness means I will not remember your sins. In other words, I will not ever Bring those sins up again and use them against you. What a thing that is. We're, we're used to doing this sort of thing, are we not? <laughs> Someone uh, offends us and we say, Ah, yeah, I know. I'm used to it. I remember. I remember. I remember when you did that before. Forgiveness means that we promise never, ever to bring that sin up again. And when you forgive your spouse, or when you forgive your siblings, or when you forgive your friends, you're making a promise not to bring those things up again, ever again. And that's what God does. What a great thing that is. And He says... And where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient. And you don't have to beat yourself down when you do something that you know is wrong. And you don't have to engage in self-flagellation when you do something you know is wrong. You need to remember with God's forgiveness that sin is not brought up again. And you can't add anything to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to assist in that forgiveness. The sufficiency of Christ. The sufficient Christ. And so, I say to you again, dear, dear friends, it's not just an abstract doctrine that we're talking about. It's a relationship with the Savior 
that we're talking about. And it's a knowledge of the Savior who comes to you and says to you, I love you, I forgive you, and I remember your sins no more. Could there be a greater sufficiency than that? No. Know the sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. Know Him. Let's pray together. Father, good You are in every respect. And we thank You for Your good work on behalf of the likes of us, undeserving though we be, And we thank you that you are pleased to set us aside for the purposes of your Father and to write your law in our hearts and in our minds and to forgive us of all of our sins and to remember them no more. We're humbled by that thought and by that work of Jesus Christ. Cause us, Father, to know Him more fully. And not just about Him, but actually to know Him as the one who saves us and takes us by the hand and leads us into Your presence. Bless us to this end, we pray. In the good name of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Amen.